It's been slow going in Guantanamo for the trial of alleged 9-11 mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and four other supposed co-conspirators. The most recent hearings under the government's military commission system were last month. The next hearings are not until April. Wall Street correspondent Jess Braven has followed the military commission story closely. In his new book, The Terror Courts, Braven offers a riveting and at times scathing account of the formation of the commissions and how they've been troubled from the beginning by questions of legitimacy and detainee abuse. Braven says the idea of establishing the commissions had its origins in the theories of presidential power advanced by John Yoo, the same Bush administration lawyer who wrote the famous torture memos. He had a theory of American government that might be surprising to to some listeners. It was not that uh, the U.S. system of government was a dramatic break uh, from that of the the, the British monarchy. It was more that it was a continuation of the same principles except where expressly modified by the Constitution. And thus all the powers of the British king uh, would then be held by the president except as limited. You know, it wasn't hereditary. Uh, You know, there were other other kinds of, of restrictions. And under that kind of analysis, the president's power in his view was nearly unlimited and military commissions uh, as he envisioned them and other people working with him would be really a reflection of presidential power, not an independent way to assess guilt uh, or innocence. And in fact, as he envisioned them uh, and others uh, who who worked on the project with him at that stage, uh, there would be no appeal to any court outside the executive branch. There would be no appeal to any court, period. And the president himself would be the final uh, judge of uh, guilt or innocence and decide whether uh, people who were convicted uh, would live or die. Now, early on uh, with the commissions, career military lawyers clashed with uh, Bush administration legal experts over how to run the commissions. What ultimately happened? Well, this was a tremendous clash, and it was a clash of both ideas and really of culture. The the U.S. military has a law book called the Uniform Code of Military Justice that was adopted after World War II. Mm. And this book and other changes in military law after World War II went a long way to changing, as they saw it, the reputation of military law from being rough justice, if you will, something that was pretty much looked down on by by other aspects of the, of the legal profession, to something they were very proud of. And to them, the idea of something that looked like it could be just summary trials was a huge uh, affront to what they thought uh, they had signed up to do. And they were very concerned about the reputation of military justice being damaged uh, if it became uh, viewed widely as just a, a kangaroo court for uh, for enemies who were presumed guilty in the first place. So the trial balloon, if we could say, of the military commissions was the case of uh, Salim Hamdan that was uh, Osama bin Laden's driver. Um, but it didn't go quite as uh, the Bush administration planned. How, how did Donald Rumsfeld, in his own words, become the first secretary of defense to lose a case to a terrorist? Yes, that's a fascinating thing. I mean, he was the, uh, 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 the technically the defendant when lawyers representing Hamdan uh, went to federal court and said, you can't try uh, our client uh, in this military commission because the president lacks the constitutional authority to create it. This is an illegal uh, court, basically, and, and you, you can't have a trial here. And uh, the Hamdan's people, the lawyers, they won in the trial court that was reversed on the appeals court, and then it went to the Supreme Court in 2006. And the Supreme Court, by a five to three vote, uh, ruled for Hamdan. Do you think people like Hamdan would have received harsher punishment in, in a federal court? The sentences have certainly not been harsher than what one has seen in, in corresponding cases in, in the civilian courts. For instance, Hamdan 
was acquitted by a jury of six military officers of this most serious count, conspiracy in 9-11. And he was convicted of of the lesser charge, which was called uh, material support for terrorism. The government prosecutor at Guantanamo in 2008, and this was a fascinating thing to to see. I watched it uh, at the time in the courtroom. The prosecutor asked for 30 years to life Mm. to make sure that no one in the world would ever think of providing material support to terrorism again through uh, imposing such a harsh sentence. The military jury deliberated for less than two hours and came back with a sentence of five and a half months plus time served, which was a a stunning result. Hamdan was – no one could really believe it at first. It's uh, months, years, what? What are they talking about? But Mm. uh, he was then uh, repatriated in – January 2009. And Hamdan, of course, was the driver for Osama bin Laden. That's, uh, that's, that's really why he was selected because right. he, he was as close as we had to Osama bin Laden uh, at the time. Uh, let me ask you one final question, uh, Jess. It's something I've often wondered about. I mean, given the extraordinary nature of the 9-11 attacks, both political and criminal, you know, non-state players attacking U.S. national interests and murdering 3,000 citizens, murdering 3,000 people in the process, why should there not be extraordinary methods to try the act? Well, the question really is, you know, what is the uh, – are, are extraordinary methods uh, a goal in and of themselves? And actually the answer is yes, they are with military commissions and uh, the, the best example is the 9-11 trial itself. For one, you know, we're now in the third effort to begin a prosecution of, of uh, five men who are accused of orchestrating those attacks. Uh, in 2008, I saw them try to plead guilty. They are not denying their culpability. In fact, these are fanatics who are quite proud of it and claim responsibility for all kinds of attacks on the United States. They're not claiming a mistaken identity or or some or, or that they were framed or anything like that. And it is very difficult to believe that uh, should they had they tried to plead guilty in a federal court in uh, in New York or anywhere, uh, that plea would not have been accepted. Uh, so it's not that. The existing trial systems were, you know, would not be able to convict people like this. It's actually the other way around. As Senator Lindsey Graham, was one of the big advocates of military commissions, told me, you know, for for the book, if you didn't put Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, one of the nine eleven defendants, into a military commission, well, why put anyone in a military commission? Uh, it, it, in other words, rather than the commissions being constructed to uh, try these uh, notorious uh, uh, diabolical figures and being the only type of, of, of structure that can hold them, it's really the other way around that the government needs these uh, diabolical figures in the dock in order to justify the perpetuation of this military commission experiment, which is such a, a strong deviation from American justice uh, standards uh, over the prior two centuries. Jess Braven, Supreme Court correspondent for The Wall Street Journal and author of The Terror Courts, Rough Justice at Guantanamo Bay. Jess, thanks very much. Thank you, Margo.